Today I'm going to begin a brand new series, and this is going to be a little bit of a departure for me. You know, primarily all I do is teach the Word of God, just straight uh, teaching from the Word, and I make comments on our uh, society and on different things like that. And so, you know, I try and take the truths that God has shown me and relate them to people, but it's basically uh, just straight scriptural teaching. What I want to do, I am going to be teaching some truths from God's Word, but I'm going to specifically be commenting on the situation that we find ourselves in right now, not only in the United States, but all around the world. And what I'm referring to is back in the month of October, of course, the stock market tanked. Uh, All of these banks began to fail. The federal government stepped in. And this isn't only true in the United States but around the world. In the month of October, I went on a tour of England and Holland and Russia. And in every one of those places, every single place, they were talking about the economic worldwide crisis. And typically, I don't comment on stuff like this, but there's some things about this that, you know, I hope you will indulge me, but it just really agitated me. It really made me angry the way that people were talking about this. And to a degree, I can give a pass to the unbelievers because the unbelievers don't know any better and they don't have the Word of God. But I tell you, even among Christians, Christian television, Christian ministers have been speaking about this terrible crisis and they've been blowing and amplifying this thing, I believe, way out of proportion At the very least, I can say this, that there have been Christians who have been terrified by this economic situation the same way that unbelievers have been terrified. And I tell you, that is wrong. There ought to be a huge difference between the way that Christians respond to this world and the way an unbeliever does. And yet, when it comes to this monetary issue, there are Christians that are pushing the panic button and doing some of the exact same things that the unbelievers are doing. And so I've I've seen this, and I've, of course, had an opinion about it. And normally I keep my opinions on, uh, you know, politics or... And this isn't going to be political, the things I'm sharing, but I mean current events. I just mention things here and there. I don't do a series focusing on it. But as I've meditated about it, the Lord has given me a teaching that I've entitled, In God We Trust... And this is going to specifically deal with the situation that we find ourselves in, not only in the United States, but all around the world. People are uh, dealing with some of these same things. And it's going to basically be a Christian response to this. How should a Christian respond? And I believe that there ought to be a huge difference between the way the Christians respond and the way that the unbelievers respond. And as I go through and share some scripture and we talk about Uh, specifically, we're going to talk about how that Isaac sowed in a year of famine and received a hundredfold return. He went against the trend. He did things that in the natural, it looked like it was foolish to do, but because of his faith in God, he had a word from God, and because he acted on that, uh, Isaac began to prosper and 
received a hundredfold return in a year that nobody else had planted their crops because it was a drought. And so not only did he have this hundredfold return, but then he basically had no competition. He got the premium price for his product in the market. And because of it, he became so prosperous that in Genesis chapter 26, it says that the king Abimelech came to him and asked him to depart because this one man who trusted God and did what God told him to do was more prosperous than the entire nation. And they kicked him out. I tell you a tremendous example of blessing and prosperity. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, now is not the time to be operating in fear. Now is not the time to be listening to the fear mongers who are distorting the truth. And you know, as I make some of these statements, I know that I'm going to infuriate some people. Uh, You know, it's not like I never do that. But it's one thing when you stand for a scripture and you stand for a doctrinal truth in the Word of God, and you have people criticize you over that. But I'm going to be saying some things that are basically, I believe, attitudes that God has given me from Scripture, and I'm going to be making comments about some of the things going on in our society. Not only the American society, but like I said, I just got back from Europe, and the exact same thing is happening. The Christians are responding the same way in these other countries in fear. And I am going to be making some statements that I'm going to be criticized for things that are outside of Scripture, but I just believe that it needs to be said. You know, God has given me a platform to share the Word of God. And I may not be able to influence the unbelievers, but man, I believe that God has just led me to use this platform to try and influence the believers not to be operating in fear, but to trust in God even when the markets and the monetary situation is fragile and people are crying uh, that it's a next depression. You know what? It shouldn't move us. Our faith ought to be in God. In God we trust. You know, in the United States, we have that printed on our money. And yet it's amazing how many people trust in the almighty dollar or trust in the stock market or trust in their 401k or trust in all of these other things. This is a time that we need to realign ourselves and make sure that our trust is in God. And I really am excited. I believe that this teaching is going to be a help to you. Let me just read a couple of statements to you first of all. This is a headline that was in the U.S. News and World Report. It says, recession starts taking toll. Will it lead to another crash? And then one of the excerpts from that article says, worries are building that today's sagging economy may be on the brink of collapse. Man, that is a, that's a huge statement that not only the U.S., but the worldwide economy could be on the brink of collapse. Here is another quote, and the headline says, running short of cash. And then the article says the United States and its allies scramble to head off a global financial disaster. Finance ministers from the United States, Britain, France, Japan, and West Germany met last week near Frankfurt to find a way to avert a global economic collapse. Now these are dire predictions. And let me just say that this is not the worst of the predictions. During the last month or two, we have heard people liken our current financial situation to the era of the Great Depression. I've literally heard people talk about people standing in bread lines again, about people being just destitute, losing everything that they've got. And this has been 
blown out of proportion. Let me say something right here that I think will really help you and help you to uh, put all of this into its proper perspective. These two quotes that I read to you from the U.S. News and World Report and also from Newsweek, they are quotations from November of 1974 and December of 1982. Now, I know that most of you thought, well, I thought that that was the current uh, situation because this is exactly the kind of things that is being said today. And like I said, people are comparing this to the Great Depression. But it helps to put this into perspective to remember that we've had ups and downs before. In 1974 and in 1982, there were terrible problems in the economy. But from my perspective, I remember back during the end of the Carter presidency and when Ronald Reagan first became president, that we had unemployment that was 10.8%. And right now, the unemployment has been around 6%. And all those 6% may be higher than it's been in the last year or two, it's still a far cry from 10.8%, and yet we survived that situation. And during the, uh, the beginning of the Reagan years, as he was beginning to straighten things out from this high interest rate and stuff, we had interest rate that had gone over 20% in the late 70s. And I could go on and on. It's my, my real forte is not to be an economist and go back through this, but I'm just pointing out that situation was much worse then as far as interest rates up to 20%. Inflation was run away. And these quotes that I gave you, they said uh, in 1982 that they were trying to avert a global economic collapse. And of course, those of you who are familiar with what happened, not only was a global collapse averted, but the rest of the 1980s is the largest peacetime expansion of our economy in the history of the United States. And the same thing rippled all around the world. And the 80s that started out so shaky, much shakier than what we've seen happen in the latter part of 2008, the 80s turned out to be one of the most prosperous economic booms that we've ever had. And I'm saying this to put things into perspective. You know, I'm going to be using these scriptures uh, about Isaac sowing in a year of famine from Genesis chapter 26. But let me just go to the very first verse of Genesis chapter 26 and verse 1. And it says, And there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. Now, we're going to go on and we're going to talk about a lot of things. There's some powerful truths in these passages. But let me just make a statement that God doesn't waste words. You know, the Lord didn't put things in the Bible just to fill up space. If something is in the Scripture, there's a reason for it being in the Scripture. And look at the way that this whole thing about this famine and the prosperity of Isaac and how that he was so mighty that a king actually expelled him from his nation because this one man had more prosperity than the entire nation did. This whole thing is set up by this first verse that says there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. Now, why do you think that was in there? Again, let me make the point that God doesn't just waste words. There's a reason that everything is in the Word. I believe, as I've meditated on this, that there is a point to this, that there is a purpose to him pointing out that there had been a famine before. 
And if you are familiar with Scripture, later on the descendants of Isaac and Jacob went into Egypt and there was a famine in Egypt. And of course that's what set up Joseph to be the ruler of the land. And the children of Israel went down into Egypt. And so there was a famine before this famine. There was famines after this famine. You know what I believe the real significance of this is? Is that when you come into a hard time, when you are in a crisis situation, you need to put everything into perspective. There had been famines before. There would be famines after. People had survived the famines before the time of Isaac. And matter of fact, Isaac's own father, Abraham, had survived a famine. And Isaac could survive this. His descendants would be able to survive that. And let me just make some statements here. You aren't going to hear this on the on the news because they love to present everything as the worst case scenario because bad news sells. And you know, I'm going to be very critical of a lot of things. But I tell you, our news system today, and this is being heard all around the world, this is not only a criticism of the United States media, but it is a criticism of the media around the world. I've just been in Europe. I've heard things. You know, this is... um, I was in Europe, Russia, Holland, and England right before the presidential elections of 2008. And it, you would be amazed to hear what is being reported around the world. It is not even remotely close to the truth. It, things are being reported, however, and the people over there in those countries listen to this and form opinions that I can guarantee you the average American has never heard some of these things. But you go into these other countries and because the news media is even more liberal and more slanted than we see here in the U.S., uh, they form an opinion based on the information that's given them. How else can you form an opinion? You you are uh, basing your opinions basically on the facts that are being presented to you. And if all you do is twist the information and not share anything that doesn't conform to your viewpoint, you can manipulate, you can change people's opinion. And this is happening. And I tell you, this is happening around the world. You aren't going to hear many people say this, but there have been worse times in the United States than what we are experiencing right now. And yet there are people that are comparing this with the Great Depression and just making outlandish statements. Let me give you some facts that you aren't going to hear on the news media. But I believe that this needs to happen, just like the Scriptures are saying in in, uh, Genesis chapter 26, that there have been famines before This wasn't the first famine. It wouldn't be the last famine. It put it into the proper context to put it into perspective. Listen to this. um, During the uh, Depression era, which a lot of people have compared this financial crisis to the Depression area, listen to some of the things that were going on then. Unemployment rose to 24.75% in 1933. That was the peak. And it lasted until 1939. I think it was still 18% in 1939. In contrast to that, in August of 2008, that's the last time that I have an unemployment figure for, the unemployment rate in the U.S. was 6.1%. Now, that is a huge difference from 25% that happened during the Great Depression and that lasted for 10 years. And again, I refer you to the fact that in 1982 that the unemployment rate in the United States was 10.8%. That's nearly 
three times as much as what we're dealing with now. And yet people are making comparisons and saying this is worse than then. It isn't worse than then. It's not even close to being like it was before. I tell you, brothers and sisters, we are systematically being misled is probably what would be the politically correct way to state it. But it's just out and out lies. People are amplifying problems, trying to present things in the worst possible light because fear sells. Uh, Bad news sells. And it's all about the almighty dollar and people trying to get ratings and get people to tune in and they know that they can capitalize on a crisis and use people's emotions to draw people to their network. And I tell you, we're being systematically lied to. If there is 4.4% unemployment in the U.S. right now, even if it's risen some, it's still not anywhere near the 25% of the Depression era or the 10.8% of 1982. But whatever the unemployment rate is right now, that means that there's roughly about 93 to 96% of the United States population that's employed. And I can also tell you by dealing with a lot of people who are unemployed that many of them are unemployed by choice. They really are. There are a lot of this 4%, 5%, whatever it is, that could be employed. And so if you look at the people who are really having a hard time right now and unemployed, and I'm not saying that that's not important. Anybody who's going through a financial situation, you know, I believe we ought to have compassion and we ought to help them. So I'm not saying that, you know, 6% or whatever is just tolerable and forget those people and let them suffer. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that it is being misrepresented that this is one of the worst crises that has ever happened. People are losing their jobs, these terrible things. There have been much worse crises in 1933, even in the 1980s. We have had higher, I remember many times that we've had 5 and 6% unemployment rate. You know, in 1929, the Dow Jones Industrial Average on the New York Stock Exchange fell from its high of 381.17 in October, and then it reached a low of 41.22. That was an 85% decline. Now, even though we've had some huge decreases or losses in the stock market, it's not even close in comparison to this. As a matter of fact, let me read this to you. This fellow Marvin Goodfriend, who is a professor of economics, at Carnegie Mellon University's Temper School of Business in Pittsburgh. He spoke on the national public radio. This is back in October of 2008. And he said that there is no real threat of a Great Depression. That depression lasted nearly 10 years. He sees this one turning around in just the next few months, the first uh, few months of 2009. He said on a scale of 1 to 10, with the Great Depression being the 10, he sees this current situation as a 3 or 4. Now, am I trying to say that there is no problem? That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that it is being blown out of proportion. Fear is being instilled in the hearts of people. And again, I can't really uh, blame an unbeliever because they don't have God to rely on. They don't have promises that God is going to supply all of their need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. 
They don't have promises that, man, if you have sown, that God is going to cause you to reap a hundredfold. They don't have the same promises that we have. And so, therefore, I could understand to a degree the unbeliever's reaction. But, brothers and sisters, it is really bothering me the way that Christians are falling apart like a $2 suitcase buying in to the amplification, the exaggeration, the overstatement about these problems. And there are people that are just pushing the panic button. And I know that there's some people right now saying, well, you know, it doesn't hurt to overstate a problem. If nothing else, it's going to make people more cautious. And sometimes, you know, it's better to be safe than sorry. That's the attitude a lot of people have. But it does make a difference. I guarantee you, if you instill fear in a person's heart, I'm going to be talking about this in much more detail as we go through this series. But fear and faith are opposites. The Bible says in the last days, men's hearts will fail them for fear, looking at all of the things that are happening here on this earth. And I tell you, it does matter. There are people that are dying because of fear. There are people that are making foolish decisions because of fear. You know, if you were to go back through history... It's during the hard times, it's during downturns in economy that most millionaires really make their money because while other people are selling off and getting rid of their assets and they're operating in fear and panicking, you have some people who recognize that this is just temporary, that things are going to turn around, and they start taking advantage of this situation. And this is where most millionaires rise up is through hard times. They are buying things for just a fraction of what they are worth because they're operating in faith while everybody else is panicking. And I'm telling you that for the Christian, I'm not just talking about a good business decision here, but I'm talking about from a Christian perspective. Our hope should be so in God, our faith should be so in God, that even though we are a part of this world and even though we have money and we have to use wisdom and we have to invest and we have to deal with things in this world... We should not panic. We should not have our trust in this world system so that if it, you know, has a hiccup, that if there is a bump in the road, that we just uh, cave in and begin to start operating in fear. There ought to be a difference between the way Christians talk about this financial situation and the way unbelievers talk about it. And yet it has really disappointed me to see Christians who are just throwing up their hands and panicking exactly the way that the unbelievers have panicked. Genesis chapter 26 verse 1 says, There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And I pointed out that this isn't just filler in this verse. There's a reason for this scripture pointing out that there had been a previous famine. And I believe that the point of this is that if you put things into perspective, if you realize there's been downturns before and there will be downturns again and we've survived them, we've come through things much harder than this, then it puts things into perspective and it keeps you from panicking and operating in the fear and the unbelief that other people are operating in. I gave a lot of statistics. There are people that have been comparing this financial crisis with the Great Depression and there really is no comparison. What I was looking at, and I, I want to bring this point out, is that, you know, there has been a mortgage uh, foreclosure rate that has been really precipitated most of this financial situation. Banks made bad loans, risky loans. The foreclosure rate has been exceedingly high. 
And that's what precipitated all of these banks closing and then the stock market crashed and this whole global crisis really came out of the mortgage uh, industry. And during the Great Depression, there was a 50% mortgage failure rate. People that could not keep their mortgage going and they got their houses repossessed. In August of 2008, the mortgage foreclosure rate in the U.S. was 4.4%. And the point is that, see, some people are saying, oh, this is the worst situation. I've actually heard and read some articles where people say this is the worst mortgage crisis that we've ever had. Again, the Great Depression was 50% failure rate in mortgages In August of 2008, it was 4.4%. It may have increased with some of these things that have happened, but still it's probably going to be around 5%, maybe 6% at a maximum. There is a huge difference between a 6% failure rate and a 50% failure rate. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we are having things blown out of proportion, amplified, lied is what it really amounts to, for the purpose of selling and drawing ratings and getting attention, and it's causing fear of the heart of people, and it is not that bad. Now, I am not saying that there isn't problems, but I'm saying that this world system is always going to have highs and lows. This is not the collapse that many people are uh, prophesying it to be, and all of these stats that I'm giving, I believe, bear that out. The uh, unemployment rate is just one-third to one-fourth of what it was during the Great Depression. The mortgage foreclosure rate is less than one-tenth of what it was. And let me just add this little statement right here, that you know what? There needs to be major change in the mortgage industry because there were these risky loans made. There were laws passed where there was preference giving to people who were in minority groups. And there, it was, uh, there were laws passed that gave incentives to all of these mortgage companies to make bad loans that they shouldn't have ever made in the first place. There are people that never qualified. There were people that were getting these loans where there was no principal payments whatsoever. It was only interest payments. Now that, excuse me for being blunt, but that is stupid. I know some people are going to criticize me for this and say, you don't know my plight and stuff. People who cannot make any principal payments on their loan should not be getting a loan. I just saw something on the way in today, and uh, it was about these uh, modular homes, and it says no payments for two years and no interest for two years. They were going to let you have a modular home for two years with no payments and stuff. Now, that shouldn't happen. You know, somebody is having to expense the money. You are getting a product, and there ought to be some payments. Now, I can understand taking advantage of a good deal and stuff, but a deal where they promise you that it's, you know, no payments, and you you can get a house, and you don't have to make any principal payments. All you do is just pay the interest. Man, you are digging yourself a hole. That kind of stuff should have never happened. There needs to be an adjustment in the market. This is actually a positive thing. It's going to straighten out some problems. If you want to talk about an economic crisis, you really should go back for the previous three or four years where the Congress in the United States was passing laws and giving incentives to people to, you know, to artificially pump up the economy, to make it look better, to show all of this activity. 
but they were bad loans. They were people that were getting houses that were making no payments and all of these kind of things. That was the crisis when people started making unsound business deals. You know, let me just make some statements here that there are people that are so gullible that they fall for these tricks and these things. I I guarantee I'm not going to get specific here, but I could, that people are always offering me these extended things and do you want this and want this and want this. And they're, they're giving you these credit cards and they're giving you the low introductory offer. And I've actually had Christians come up to me before who were praying about their financial situation and they just didn't see any way out. And then they get a credit card application in the mail that says you are already pre-approved and you've got zero interest for six months. And they say, this is God. God answered my prayer. You know, let me just be as blunt as I can be. That is not God that is giving you a zero interest credit card because at the end of that six months, then the rates bump up to where they are higher than the normal credit card rates. Again, I don't have these stats in front of me, but I'm sure that most of you have heard and seen these things before, that if you were to take an average person and take their amount of money they charge on a credit card, and if all you do is make the minimum payment and you don't ever pay against the principal, all you're doing is paying the interest and the minimum payment, it could take something like 20 or 30 years to dig yourself out of a $5,000 debt on a credit card. That's just ludicrous. It's stupid. Nobody in their right mind should do those kind of things. And yet this has become the practice. As a matter of fact, you know, when I was over in Russia recently, we talked about all kinds of things, trying to understand the difference between that culture and my culture and all of these different things. And our Bible college students who've lived over there now for nine years, and they they were over there, about the time that, you know, Russia was just beginning to start getting some capitalism and beginning to get into a different economy. And they've seen the prices increase, I don't know, a hundred or a thousand percent. It's just huge increase. Some of the uh, characterizations are, are the way that uh, the interpreters, the Russians who are dealing with our students and things over there, some of the things that they said are that, you know, there are kids being raised today who their parents had no such thing as credit. There was no such thing as buying things on credit and they lived without. Now, here come their kids that for the last 10 years or so have been raised under a, you know, a semi-capitalistic government where there are things available. There is getting to be competition and ads and stuff like this. And they said one of the big problems is that these parents who never had anything under communism... Now, anything that you want is in Russia and you can get it on credit and they are just maxing their credit out, digging themselves a hole they're never going to get out of. The children are being raised on this kind of a mindset that you can have anything and that you can get it all on credit. And they have thrown away any sense of responsibility and accountability. And uh, they said that, you know, there is a crisis looming. It's not... Uh, hit in Russia the way that it is right here, but it is a crisis building because there's a whole generation being raised on this debt mentality. Same thing has been done in the Western world, in the United States. And I'm telling you, a lot of what we see happening right now 
is happening because people were using unsound business practices, making loans that they shouldn't ever have made, and there needs to be a correction. Did you know that the housing industry, the prices of houses have just gone through the roof? Like right here, just in the Colorado Springs area, uh, we have seen the price on houses escalate dramatically. Again, I'm not qualified to be telling you the exact numbers, but I I, I can guarantee it's gone up just dramatically in the last 10 or 15 years. Part of this is because we've had a huge influx of ministries come in, bringing hundreds and thousands of employees with them, and they were coming from California where the property values were very high compared to Colorado. They saw this as a bargain, and they were paying top dollar. Actually, some people would bid on a house, and somebody else wanted it so badly, they would bid and increase the bid above. And because of this, property values have gone up and up and up, and it's gone up artificially, it's gone up unrealistically, and there has to be a correction. And so, again, I'm not saying that there isn't a problem, but I'm saying that it is not near the problem that it is being uh, amplified and dramatized to by the news media, and it actually is a good correction. And for people who have sound business financial principles and haven't mortgaged their life to the hilt, this is a great time to be taking advantage of things. Just like uh, Isaac here in Genesis chapter 26, it was a year of famine. And because of this, there were people that weren't even planting their crops. There were people that were saying, what's the use? There were people that were just giving up. There were people that were going down into Egypt. Now, see, that's what Isaac's father, Abraham, did during a famine one time in the land. He went down into Egypt. Egypt, of course, had the Nile River coming through, and they had this irrigation system where they irrigated all of this land. And so, in a sense, Egypt was nearly famine-proof. Not totally, because during the days of Joseph, they had a famine. But I'm saying that compared to the nations around, they were going to prosper when other nations didn't prosper. And so there's a lot of people that during a year of famine, they just take off and do whatever they think they've got to do to be able to survive. And so there's people that left that land. There's people that let their fields go idle. There was certainly a decrease in crops and in productivity because it was during a famine and people were either, uh, you know, uh, fleeing that land and going where they thought they could prosper. They weren't planting their crops. And during this time, this is a wonderful time, a wonderful time for a person who's a believer and has a covenant with God to prosper because everybody else is not sowing their fields. What's the use? It's a great time. Isaac got a word from God. Look at this. The Lord said to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26, The Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Let me again point out that going into Egypt where there was plenty and there was lots of food, that would have been the equivalent of what people are doing today when they are just cashing out. They are leaving their investments. They are panicking. There are people that are withdrawing their money from the banks and putting it in their, under their mattresses and hiding it in places. You know, that's not rational. Again, I know that some people are going to think that, you know, you're a preacher, you have no business making comments on these kind of things. But I'm saying it is irrational a lot of the things that people are doing today, and but they aren't seeking the will of the Lord. 
They aren't asking what God wants them to do. They're just reading the newspapers. They're listening to the broadcast. They hear a friend did this. And so they're doing all of these things that are panic-driven, fear-driven, and they are going to lose out. You know, if you take your money out of a CD or out of the bank, even in a savings account, that's not a huge interest, but at least it's appreciating, it's making something, it's doing something. And yet there's people that are just in panic taking their money out of these institutions. You know, back during the Great Depression, there was no FDIC uh, program from the government. Deposits weren't insured, but now they are. They just increased the deposit in insurance from 1000 up to, I mean, from 100000 to 250000 It's not the same situation as during the Depression when there was a run on banks and over 20,000 banks in the United States failed and people lost their money. It's not the same situation and yet people are doing things like that. See, in Isaac's day, there were people that just saw that there was a hard time, that there was a famine and so, man, they were panicking. They were going to Egypt. They were just giving up. They were letting their fields lay idle. What a great opportunity for Isaac and he got a word from the Lord. Did you know that the Lord doesn't just appear to everyone. That's kind of a random, seldom occurrence. And I believe personally that there's a reason why God does miracles in some people's lives and doesn't do miracles in other people's lives. It's not said here, but I'm reading between the lines. I believe that Isaac, instead of just panicking like everyone else, instead of just heading to Egypt, which was the logical, uh, you know, probably the sensible, reasonable thing to do by the world's standards, Isaac was listening to God. Isaac was seeking, God, what do you want me to do? And God spoke to him. You know, I'm encouraging you right now, instead of listening to the panic of this world, instead of, instead of operating in fear, instead of doing things that you don't feel good about, but you feel pressured into it, I've got to do it. You need to seek God. You need to hear from God. This is one of the greatest opportunities for the believers to prosper and to see God uh, bless them because other people are running scared. We can operate in faith, and I guarantee you this is a great time for Christians to be alive. This is not the end of the world as we know it, the way that it has been told. There have been famines before. There will be famines again. There's been financial crisis before. There will be financial crisis again. The world system goes up and down because it's an imperfect system. And all you hear, the unbelievers are the ones that have control of the media. And they are pushing the panic button. But remember that the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. This is a great time for Christians to be using their faith and be using their head instead of operating out of their emotions and panic. And I tell you, there needs to be a correction. We need to make sure that we are trusting in God and not in just this world system. Let me also point this out. Some of you, I'm sure, will remember the Y2K scare that came through the body of Christ. I first became aware of this in about 1998, I think it was. I was out to eat with a minister friend of mine, and he started talking about the Y2K problem. I didn't even know what he was talking about. First of all, he had to explain to me what he was talking about. And then he began to predict that this was going to be the beginning of the tribulation period. And I mean, he got so strong into this 
that he actually had people come and bring pallets of food and he was selling an entire year's supply. I think it was six months or a year's supply of food. He encouraged his people to buy guns and protect themselves that it was going to be chaos, that there was going to be looting and robbing. Uh, He encouraged his people to move out of the city and move into the country uh, so that they would have less people around to uh, try and come and steal their stuff. And I mean, it was just unbelievable the way that people responded to this. Now, the unbelievers didn't buy into the Y2K so much, but Christians really uh, promoted this. I remember I was being interviewed on a radio station in Dallas that I've been broadcasting on for decades. And I was on a talk show, and the host began to start asking me my opinions about this. And I said, I don't think it's going to be an event. I think it's going to be a non-event. And he just uh, hit the roof and started telling me that I was leading people in the wrong direction, that this was dangerous, what I was doing. And basically his whole take on this thing was that even if it nothing happens on January the 1st, 2000, and if nothing happens, well, then we have been prepared and there's no damage done. But if something does happen, well, then people like you are going to cause people to be unprepared and there's going to be tremendous damage. And anyway, I got attacked. I mean, people began to call in and ridicule me and say, how dare you do this? And so I was confronted on this on so many fronts that what I basically did, I went to the Word, and of course, there's no scripture that says Y2K is not going to happen. Amen. The scripture didn't, wasn't that specific, but there was principles in the Word, such as in John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus speaking to his disciples the night before his crucifixion says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, I guarantee you, witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus and seeing the one who you hinged all of your hopes upon him being the Messiah and seeing him crucified and dead and buried, that was major, much more major than Y2K or the financial crisis that we find ourselves in. And if Jesus could tell his disciples then, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. If Jesus could tell them that, well, then I can guarantee you that no Y2K ought to make people panic and do the things that they were doing. And I just began to start seeing things in Scripture that talked about how that faith responds to things totally different than fear does. And I began to watch the things that were being promoted in the body of Christ, and it was fear-based. It was manipulating people through fear. And so because of that, I came out very strongly. And I mean, I made a stand saying, Thus saith the Lord, this is not the end of the world. It is not going to cause computers to crash all over the world. It is going to be a non-event. And I went on record in 19, I think, 99. I got stronger and stronger as the time came closer. And I started my television broadcast. I started on television January the 3rd, Monday, 2000. And I I made my very first program saying, if you're watching this program now, you know that the Y2K uh, crisis was a hoax. And that's how I started it. And you know what? Uh, It was a non-event. And this situation that we're going through now, I'm not saying that there aren't some problems, but there is a necessary correction going on. And I'm telling you, the fear that is being promoted, the things that are being said, the comparisons of this situation to the Great Depression and to other things, is wrong. And the fear that I see people responding in 
to where they aren't, they are losing their joy and they, they don't have hope and they're panicking about their future. That is not a godly response. Now again, an unbeliever, I can understand responding that way because they don't have faith in God. But for people with faith in God, this is irresponsible on our part to respond in fear to this situation. We need to continue to believe God. We need to continue to sow in a year of famine. We need to continue to have our hope in God. Now, if you've been doing something that was foolish, if you have gotten involved and hocked into debt up over your ears and you can't get out of it, well then, yes, there's some lessons that you need to learn. Maybe you shouldn't just think that the world is going to continue without any bumps or problems and you need to start being a little more conservative in the ways that you invest your money and things. I'm not saying that we just ignore this and there's nothing to be learned out of it. But I'm telling you, it is wrong the way that it is being promoted and this fear is causing problems in people. Do you remember also about the bird flu? You know, I was in Scotland in 2005 and I remember when the bird flu, or it was called the avian flu also, uh, was first happening and they were killing poultry by the thousands or maybe tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands in the UK. And they were burning these birds and there's smoke going up and it was causing people that I knew in the poultry industry to, man, their finances just tanked because of it. And I remember being in Scotland in October of 2005 and they interviewed one of the leading experts for the BBC or for the British healthcare system. And they asked him, is this going to mutate into a strand of virus that could affect humans? And he said, without a doubt. He says, there is no question of if it will happen. It's just a matter of when. He says, it might be one year or at the most two years. But within two years, one third of the world's population is going to die through avian or bird flu. Now, that's what a leading British health care official said. That was up. That two years was up October of 2007. And I remember reading in a paper October of 2007 that at that time there had been a total of 12 human deaths worldwide from that flu. Now even though, you know, you, it's a shame that anybody died from this flu, that is a far cry from one-third of the world's population, over two billion people. And yet this man who was in a position of leadership just got up and, of course, some people would say he made a prediction and he missed it or that maybe, uh, you know, it was, it was prudent to just think of the worst-case scenario and prepare for the worst but hope for the best. And they try and whitewash this any way they want to. But I guarantee you things like that do damage to people. There were people that I'm sure they had their poultry business uh, die. They went out of business because of that. There's probably people that were maybe going to move in that direction and decided to change because of this. I know that in the U.S. there have been people that have been making predictions about all of the hurricanes ever since Hurricane Katrina hit the U.S. and there was devastation. They have been uh, predicting these increased number of hurricanes and their predictions have been wrong. And a lot of people just say, well, you know, we have to prepare for the worst, but hope for the best. And it's just prudent to recognize that this could happen. No, that's not true, because I guarantee you those predictions caused the uh, hurricane or the flood 
or whatever insurance you have for those kind of things, it caused that insurance premiums to go up dramatically. Many people lost their insurance because they couldn't make the premiums and therefore they were uncovered and it had a devastating impact. And the hurricane seasons have not been that bad since Katrina. Their predictions have been wrong. And I tell you, you ought to be able to see a pattern here. The world system promotes fear. The world system is going to make this situation the worst situation that has ever happened in the history of the world. You know, at the time that I'm making this teaching, it's the day before the presidential elections in uh, the United States, November the 3rd. And I don't know what the uh, results of this election is going to be. I I have a very strong opinion. I am definitely for one candidate over the other, and I would hate to see one candidate win. But... Let me put this into perspective again. I'm living, I'm preaching to myself, I'm doing exactly what I'm saying to you. Regardless of who wins that election, you need to remember that the Apostle Paul was living under a system where the man who was running the world was Caesar. And he was a man that proclaimed himself to be a god. There was terrible ungodliness being done. I mean, there is not even any comparison between the... Uh, oppression that we have in government compared to what it used to be in Paul's day. And yet Paul prospered. Paul went around the world preaching the gospel. He told his people, he says in Romans chapter 13, to pray for those that were in leadership over them and that they were ministers of God for good. And Paul, he never rebelled. He never formed a revolt. He worked within the system. And yes, there was problems. And yes, it would have been wonderful if there would have been a democracy and freedom and if he would have had television and the ability to do the things that I'm doing. And sure, you know, he went through hardship that, praise God, I pray that I don't have to go through some of that hardship. But my point is, Paul survived. Paul turned his world right side up with the gospel. Paul still made it. And he lived under an ungodly system. So my point is that, yes, I, you know, I am praying and believing that we get some godliness into the government. And so I have an opinion on that. But regardless of who wins, I'm not going to move outside of the United States. I'm not going to put up a white flag and surrender. I'm not going to panic. You know, I remember past elections when certain people were elected to office. And I was with a group of Christians one night when the election night results Uh, came in on the presidential election. And I mean, people started crying. People said, it's the end of the world. You know, how can we ever survive? And you know what? We survived that president. We survived eight years of that president. And we have gone on and we've made it. We're going to make it regardless of who's in office. I'm not saying that I don't have an opinion. I am voting. I am doing some things about that. But you know what? Here's my point that regardless of what this world does, whether it's in politics, whether it's in money, whether it's in the entertainment industry, whether it's in immorality and whether it's in the school system and on and on we could go talking about all the ways that godliness is being attacked in our society. Regardless of what happens, my faith is in the Lord. My peace is in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. You know what? I've got some money. I don't have a lot of money. I'm not like some of these preachers that you hear about that live in a 10,000 square foot home and fly around in jets and do all these things. I don't have a lot of money, but I'm blessed. 
And I have some money that, that, you know, a friend of mine invests in the stock market for me. And I've lost money just like anybody else has. But it hasn't affected me. I hadn't stayed up. It hasn't done one single thing to me because my trust is in the Lord and it's not in this world system. And because I have that attitude in the first place, I wasn't in the risky stuff. I, I didn't have lots of money put in it and therefore I don't have the same exposure to potential loss that the average person was because number one, I don't trust this world system. So my damage is going to be limited compared to most people, but I've lost and it's not making me fall apart. It's no big deal. It's no big deal. I wouldn't invest money in something that I couldn't lose it. Not that I want to lose it, but that I couldn't lose it because I just wouldn't put myself in that kind of a risk. I just don't do things like that. I believe those are godly principles. Those are godly ideas. You know, let me just take a few scriptures here. And man, I've got like six or seven pages of scripture that I just pulled off of my computer early this morning about fear. There's no way I can go through all of this. But you know, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, in the 14th chapter, Abraham had just given away millions of dollars of spoil. He went out and conquered this army And the king of Sodom says, you take all of the money and just let me have my people back. Abraham could have been a millionaire, multiplied times over, and yet he says, God forbid, nobody's going to say that they are the one that prospered me, but God only. That's all recorded in the 14th chapter. And then the very next verse, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, it says, after these things, what things? Him giving away millions of dollars worth of spoil and saying, God is my source. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And he went on to prosper him and tell him how he was going to prosper him in his physical body and also in finances and things. And, you know, I believe that the significance of this, the reason that this was placed right after Abraham had given away millions of dollars worth of spoil, the reason this is in there is because probably Abraham was going, What have I done? Man, I could have been rich. He was wondering. It it was fear. It was panic beginning to grab hold, or at least there was the temptation of it to come on him. And so God appeared unto him and said, Abraham, trust in me. Abraham, just uh, wait on me. Let me be your source. And of course, we have the benefit of looking back in history and Abraham prospered like very few or nearly anybody had done up until that time because of his relationship with God. You know what? The same thing will happen to you if you trust in God. Uh, Boy, there's just so many scriptures. There's many times that the Lord told Moses and Joshua not to be afraid, not to be dismayed. Let me read these verses to you out of Joshua chapter 1. And the Lord appeared unto Joshua right after the death of Moses and told him not to be afraid. Every place that the sole of his foot tread upon he would uh, have it and that God would prosper him and God would help him to supernaturally win and to defeat all of these nations. And then in Joshua chapter 1 and in verse 7 it says, Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses thy servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now this isn't limited to financial prosperity but it includes it. And it says here that trusting in God and seeking Him would cause this prosperity to happen. 
In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 it says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You know, this is what everybody's wanting. They're wanting prosperity and success. And yet they're wanting it because they're studying all of the uh, financial tables and they're doing all of these things and they're, they're just totally absorbed and saturated with this world's philosophy about finances. This scripture says if you keep the Word of God in front of you and meditate in it day and night, then you will be prosperous and then you will have good success. Now the stock market may fluctuate. The financial markets may come and go. Certain people may be elected and others fall. And all of these things are subject to change, but the Word of God never changes. And if you will meditate in the Word day and night, God will make you prosperous. I don't care what this world system does. There are some of you thinking, I don't believe that can happen. Well, then it won't work for you. But I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, you ought to rejoice. You need to be rejoicing and praising God regardless of what the world's doing. Let them panic. But you don't have to panic. We have faith in God. Trust in God. Then the next verse, Joshua 1.9 says, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Boy, this is a direct command. Be not afraid, nor be dismayed. You know what the word dismayed means? Matter of fact, it was translated discouraged. Are any of you discouraged because of the things that have happened? Have any of you been discouraged about your retirement, about your plans for the future? Here is a command not to be discouraged. Why? Because the Lord is with us and God has promised that He will prosper you. I'm just telling you that you should not departmentalize your life. You should not have a spiritual section over here to where you... Praise God if somebody criticizes you for the gospel's sake, where if you have something come against you and, and you know, if it's something to do with heaven and hell, then you trust God over here. But then when it comes to the finances, this is just, you know, you got to get down in the mud and you got to do it the way the unbelievers do. And if the stock market crashes and if they're raising the interest rates and if the gas prices go up and if this happens, well, then you got to panic just like everybody else. And you know what? I That just really... Uh, irritates me. I don't know how else to say it. It irritates me the way that Christians are so influenced by this world system. Now, I know that, uh, you know, here I am, I'm in this world too, and I'm sure that I'm influenced by it more than probably what I should be. But I'm saying that, man, I just, God has changed my life around My whole joy, my peace, my outlook, my hope, my future, my confidence, my expectations, everything in my life is based on God. And He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. So therefore, my hope doesn't change. I don't operate in fear. And I really don't care that much what's going on in the world. I care in the sense that I want to see people's lives touched And so I do stay abreast of some things, but I guarantee you, if this world system goes to pot, I am still going to have joy and peace in the Lord. And I know that there are some of you that are thinking, well, you just can't live that way. Well, don't wake me up because that's the way I'm living. And there's a lot of Christians that don't even 
they don't even think about this. There's a lot of Christians that think, but it's a terrible situation and we ought to be bothered. Matter of fact, I saw a bumper sticker one time that said something like, if you aren't depressed, uh, I forgot the exact wording of it, but it's something like, you aren't very smart or you aren't paying attention or something like that. And I admit that in the world system, there's lots of bad things going on. There's lots of things that I could be upset about. But my faith is not in this world. Paul lived in a much worse political climate, a much worse economical climate. He didn't have the technological advantages. He didn't have the conveniences that we have. I I mean, there is just... There is no comparison. We are infinitely better off, and yet the Apostle Paul was able to say he just had a light affliction. All of the things that happened to him, being shipwrecked and persecuted and stoned, left for dead and put in prison and on and on, it's just a light affliction. Not because it was light, but because of the way he processed it. And he said that he realized it was just for a moment. He put it into the light of eternity. And he also wasn't looking just with physical eyes at the natural things that you could see. He was looking at spiritual eyes, with spiritual eyes. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. And that's what I'm doing. And I believe that Christians should be doing this. Yes, we are in this world. Yes, we have to deal with it. Yes, you need to make some plans for the future. You need to take the money that you've got and you need to use it wisely and invest. But I'm telling you what, you shouldn't have your confidence and your trust in this world system. And if you have been fearful, if you've been depressed, discouraged, if you've had any of these reactions, if your hope is gone, if you haven't been able to sleep at night, And I'm saying this in love, not to condemn, but I'm saying you have been trusting in this world system more than you should. The only ones or the only thing that will ever let you down are the ones that you lean on. You should be leaning on the everlasting arms. You should be leaning on Jesus and not leaning to your own understanding. Let me just take a few scriptures here. Psalms chapter 27 verse 1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came unto me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. The Lord is my light, so I'm not going to be afraid. Now, I know that there's some people thinking, well, that doesn't apply to finances. That doesn't apply to investments. That doesn't apply to my 401k. That doesn't apply to my retirement account. That, that's talking about spiritual things over here. You know, I haven't got time to give you a testimony, but one of the greatest experiences that I ever had happened through me singing this scripture. Jamie and I were given an eviction notice right after we had been married. We'd only been married a couple of months. And I made mistakes. I didn't understand. I thought if you were a minister, you couldn't work a secular job. I thought you were backsliding on God if you didn't uh, just trust God full time for your finances. And that was wrong. I didn't understand it at the time. Because of it, I gave away all the money that I'd saved before our marriage. We were broke. We got an eviction notice. We went to a service that night. And... On the way there, I mean, Jamie and I were just about to lose our joy, just about to lose our faith. Here we were, a newly married couple about to kick, get kicked out of our apartment. It looked like we had failed. But you know what? I took these exact scriptures and I began to sing this. Jamie and I sang it all the way to the meeting. And it's a long story. I won't go into detail. 
But God miraculously turned that around. Three o'clock the next morning, God met my needs supernaturally. And so I'm saying that this doesn't just apply to spiritual things. This will work in the area of finances. You can say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Shall I fear the stock market? Shall I fear the people that are in control of the monetary systems? Shall I fear all of the chicken littles that are saying that the sky is falling and that everything is falling apart? Or am I going to fear God? You can trust God. Look at this in Psalms chapter 46, verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear... Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Now look at this. He's saying we aren't going to fear. And he says, I'm not going to fear even if the earth is removed. What a statement. You know what? Again, I am not trying to say that there isn't any problem. I'm not trying to say that some people aren't in a crunch. But I am saying that the problems we are experiencing, the financial problems that are causing people to panic and operate in so much unbelief and fear, I think that most of you would have to agree that this problem isn't near as bad as if the earth was to be exploded and incinerated and the earth no longer existed. To me, that would be a little bit worse than the crisis we're going through. And he says, I'm not going to fear though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Just think about what that would do. People talk about global warming in the sea rising one inch or something. What would happen if every mountain in this world was cast into the sea? Just think of the tidal waves, the tsunamis that that would cause. Think of how that would raise the oceans. Think of the cities, the coastal areas that would be destroyed through that. Matter of fact, if the mountains were gone... It's possible the whole world would be inundated with water if you were to put all the mountains into the sea. And yet he says, I'm not going to fear even if that happens. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. If David could say that he was, or if he could say that he was not going to fear even if the earth was removed, if the mountains were cast into the sea. And if he had that much trust and faith in God, well, then I guarantee you this little puny, insignificant problem in comparison. Now, I know some of you are going to take offense because you think I'm making light of a situation. I'm saying in comparison, this is nothing. You know, I'm reminded of a scripture. I can't think of the verse or the reference right now. But the Lord was speaking to his people and he says, If the footmen have wearied you, how are you ever going to contend with the horsemen? In other words, if this little problem is bothering you, well, then how would you ever deal with the earth being removed, the mountains being cast into the sea? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the fact that so many Christians have gotten bummed out, discouraged, fearful, have been speaking unbelief, they've lost their hope, they haven't been able to sleep at night, is a tremendous indictment against our lack of trust in the Lord. There shouldn't be any any, any difference in your life because of the financial situation. Somebody says, but I've lost all of my savings or whatever. Well, you've learned a lesson. And you know what? If your trust is in the Lord, whatever you've lost, God can give it back to you. And now you should have enough uh, wisdom that you aren't going to use unsafe investment practices again. And you can profit from this. And it could be a learning curve. You are better off for it. 
Thank you for that thunderous silence. Man, let me just skip through. There's so many scriptures here. I haven't got time to do all of this, but I want to point out some of these scriptures. Look in Proverbs chapter uh, chapter 3. In verse 21, he says, My son, let them not depart from thine eyes. Talking about the Word of God. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. You know, there's some people that have stumbled because of the financial crisis, because they weren't basing their life on the Word. They weren't following uh, solid, firm, biblical instructions in the way they handled their money. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Now, this is a person whose trust is in the Lord. Let me ask you, have you not been able to sleep because of the financial situation? Has it kept you awake at night? If it has, I'm not mad at you. I'm not upset. I'm just trying to get this across that, you know what? You aren't trusting God in this area of finances. You are looking to the world system. And when the world system hiccups, when it has a downturn, well, then you uh, react to it and get under all of this fear and under all this stuff. And it shouldn't be. You ought to be able to lie down and your sleep will be sweet. You shall not be afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it comes. The Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Now, in contrast to this, look at this in Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Now, this is Solomon writing, and Solomon was the richest man. The Lord said that there was never a man before him, nor will there ever arise a person after him with so much wealth. So you look at whoever today. You look at the richest person in the world today, and Solomon was richer. He had more money, and yet look at what he said here, it's, uh, the writer is describing the prosperity and the setting and all of the things that went on with Solomon. And it says in uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 7, Behold his bed, which is Solomon's. Three score valiant men are about it of the valiant of Israel. They all hold swords, being export, expert in war. Every man hath his sword upon his thigh because of fear in the night. Now, here's the richest man on the face of the earth. He, his 401k was perfect. Amen. He had a retirement that he never had to worry about money. Money was a no object to him. And yet, he had to have 60 men surrounding his bed at night with their swords drawn because there was so much fear of people trying to kill him. In contrast to that, his father, David, there isn't any report that anybody stood around his bed at night. Now, of course, David had a palace, and I'm sure that there were guards, and I'm sure that there were some things, but David didn't live in the fear that Solomon lived in. And there's so many points I could make out of this. But you know what? If your trust is in riches, if your trust is in the physical, natural things, then you know what? You're never going to have peace, because it's always going to be subject to something happening to it. You know what, I, again, I don't have a lot of money. I've got some money, but I, I don't, my trust isn't in that. If I lost everything I've got, you know what, I'd still be happy. I'd still be trusting the Lord, and I'd get it all back because God is my source. The person where that prosperity came from, I still have him. I'm still walking with him, and if I lost everything I had, I'd get it all back. 
Some of you doubt that and say, sure. It's easy for you to say. Well, you know, in 2002, we had fires here in Colorado, and the fires came within one mile of my house, and they had a mandatory evacuation, and they made us leave. And we got our pictures, and we got our uh, documents that couldn't be replaced. We thought about loading up all of our house in a rental truck and moving it, but we just decided to believe God. And and, uh, as we were leaving, we prayed over our house, believed it was going to be there, and it was. We escaped the fire. But as we were leaving, Jamie said this, and I agreed 100%. She said, you know, this is just stuff. It's not important. It's our relationship with God that's important. And we've had fun getting this stuff. If, if it burns, if we lost everything we've got, we'll get it all back and I'll have fun getting it back. So you can't tell me that this is just something I can say. I've lived it. I've actually come to a place to where I've been in situations, and you know what? I can truthfully say that it doesn't matter what people do. I am going to prosper. My hope is in the Lord, and if your faith has been shaken, that just shows you that it was in something besides God. I'm not saying that to hurt, but I'm saying it to help so that we can realign our faith. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Man, those are strong scriptures. I know some of you may have lost money in the stock market. You may be panicking. You may be thinking about what's going to happen. But remember where you were before God gave you that money. There was a time that most of you had nothing and because of your faith in God and trust in God, God prospered you. And maybe if you've lost some of your assets, well then, I'm not saying that you just sit there and rejoice because of it, but it shouldn't devastate you. God's the one that gave you those things in the first place. God is your strength. Don't be dismayed. He's going to strengthen us. In verse 11 it says, Behold, all they that were incensed against thee shall be ashamed and confounded. They shall be as nothing. They that strive with thee shall perish. Thou shalt seek them and thou shalt not find them. Even them that contend with thee, they that war against thee shall be as nothing and as a thing of naught. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm Jacob. Man, I like that. Fear not, thou worm Jacob. In other words, you know, you may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. You may feel like, well, that's easy for you to say, Andrew, because you can do this and you've already been serving the Lord. And, you know, we just put people in different categories and say, well, that'll work for you, but it won't work for me. The Lord says, fear not, thou worm Jacob. Jacob hadn't had the best history with the Lord. They had disbelieved him. They had rebelled at him. They'd gone into idolatry. They had done everything wrong. They had made mistake after mistake after mistake, and yet here's the Lord saying, I'm with you. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 43, 1, But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with thee. Are any of you feeling like you've been going through some deep waters, troubled waters, that there's a storm in your life, that you've been having problems? He says, I'll be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. You know, if you were to take these scriptures and operate in faith, you may be going through a fire. I really believe that probably 
the majority of people watching me have not had a significant downturn in your finances. You know, personally, I don't know any person personally who has had a downturn in their finances. Now, I know one person that had a lot of money invested in the stock market and has lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. But, you know, if he'll just stay the course, that'll come back. He'll eventually get that back. But outside of that one person, I honestly don't know any person that has lost their job, that everything is crashing down around them. Now, I know that there are some that are that way, but it's not the majority. But even if you are going through that, this says that the flame is not going to kindle upon you, that you are not going to be burned. God has promised you that if you will turn to Him, God will bring you through this thing and He will restore unto you the things that Satan has stolen from you and you will be wiser because of it. There's just no reason to panic in this situation. And you know, for time's sake, I'm going to have to jump on down. Man, I'm missing so many scriptures, but let me share this with you. Isaiah chapter 51, and in verse 7, it says, Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of man, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. Verse 12, I, even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the son of man which shall which shall be made as grass. And forgettest the Lord thy maker that hath stretched forth the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and hath feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? Boy, this is a powerful scripture. The Lord is saying, I'm the one that comforts you. Why are you afraid of people? Why are you afraid of these things? And look at this in chapter 51, verse 13. And you forget the Lord your maker. You know, let me say this in love. I don't want to diminish the seriousness of what I'm about to say, but I don't want you to be offended and think I'm against you. I'm saying this out of love. But brothers and sisters, people who have panicked, people who aren't able to sleep at night, people who are, have lost their hope, that are now discouraged and dismayed about the future, that are worried about where is this going, everything is out of control. Can I say this with love and respect? But you know what? You have forgotten God. You have forgotten that God is the one who gave you whatever it is that you lost in the first place. You have forgotten that God is our source, not this world. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says that the Lord supplies all of my need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. It is not based on this world's economy. You know, our ministry here operates differently than most ministries. Most ministries will talk about that during the summer there's this downturn and so they just plan on that. You know what? I believe, God, that I am prospered and blessed all of the time. And somehow or another, I understand the logic behind people going on vacation and using their money for vacations. And I understand the logic of it, but somehow God circumvents all of that and we go ahead and prosper even in the summer. I understand that other people have had problems and I'm not criticizing them, but I'm saying God is my source. God supplies my need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And praise God, we are going to prosper. I don't care what this world does. That's my confession. That's what I'm believing and I'm not backing off of it. And I welcome you to join me in my faith. 
Recognize the sky isn't falling. This isn't the end of the world. Quit listening to the chicken littles out there that are just saying things for ratings and to get your money. I tell you, this could help you.